Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Gotta be feeling good about what Mike White's done today. On third and four, he'll look to throw. In zone, Wilson, a big play downfield. Wilson still going along the sideline. He's not going to go down. Allen tripped up. He could not get past Jermaine Johnson. Oh, look at the speed of Brees Hall. He's done it again. Brees Lightning, 62 yards for the touchdown. Rodgers in trouble again, and he's sacked again by Quinn Williams. What a beast, number 95 for the Jets. Listen. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time to review day number one of Senior Bowl week. Practices going on in Mobile, Alabama. And so we bring back our friend Tyler Fornis, who is the managing editor of Vikings Wire. You know him from being on the show last year, giving us daily Senior Bowl updates. And he's back to do the same thing this year. Tyler, thanks so much for coming back on the show, brother. It's great to talk to you. Absolutely, Scott. It's great to be back. And we had flight the day in Mobile. Uh, We're so used to it being cold and rainy down (laughs) here. Um, My face is burnt to a crisp. It was 70s, sunny. It was like, this is what a vacation feels like for those of us who live in the north. That's exactly what I had heard. I believe it was 73 and sunny in Mobile, Alabama today. And when you're living in the northeast or in the Midwest, like you do in the Minnesota area, you can't even imagine needing to put sunblock on in late January, early February. But I hope for your sake that you learn your lesson today and you've got something to wear tomorrow because otherwise you're going to come back to Minnesota burned to a crisp. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm already fine getting burned to a crisp. It means that that first sun when summer comes around in Minnesota, it won't be nearly as bad. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll say this much. Even if you get burned to a crisp, it's nothing compared to what Dewan Jones was doing to some of these guys today. Now, Dewan Jones is an offensive tackle from Ohio State. I've had my eye on him. I've really been impressed with his film so far. A lot of Jets fans will be weary of somebody like Dewan Jones because he's even bigger than Mackay Becton. Six foot eight, 375 pounds. Really moves well, just like Becton. But people will look at Becton and then they'll look at Jones and say, well, a guy that big is bound to get hurt a lot just by the nature of his size. I'm not sure that's the case. Jones is a fascinating prospect, though, Tyler, because he's the type of guy that teams could fall in love with as a possible day one pick. I'm not saying he's going to go in the top 10 necessarily, but especially if the three tackles that everybody thinks are going to go at the top, Skronsky, Paris Johnson, and Broderick Jones go earlier than expected, you could see somebody like Dewan Jones creep into the first round. It's also possible he's there in the second or third. So let's say the Jets don't go tackle at number 13. Maybe they go back and get Dewan Jones in the second or third round if he's available there. 
Tell me about what you saw from him because it sounds like he really dominated today. And what else did you see from the rest of the offensive linemen for the North and the South? Okay, so let's start with Dewan Jones. He is one of the more unique players in this draft. If you remember last year, Daniel Falele, this absolute monster of a human being, but he looks every bit of it. He is he was big, he was thick. He did not move very well. Dewan Jones looks like a water heater, but he moves like somebody about 50 pounds lighter than him. His feet are just incredibly nimble. And he's just a different style player. He has incredibly long arms. We're talking 36 inches and historically great like wingspan of somebody who's like seven, five and a half. And not only that, he's able to keep up the speed rushers. The second he gets his hands on you, you're done because he's got great functional strength. And he's able to bury guys and keep the quarterback upright. And I was incredibly impressed with him and what he was able to do on that offensive line. And I think that his skills will translate. And I'm not super worried about the injury thing. Just because when you look at him, he doesn't have bad weight. He is, it's so much of it is muscle. And just because he's such a large human, like I'm 6'6". I weigh 310 pounds. I don't look like I weigh 310 pounds. As like somebody who's 5'11 would look like they weigh 310 pounds. Like the way we carry our weight is just so incredibly different. And because he's such a large person with just long arms, there's a lot more places for weight to be. So he doesn't look like this as much of a massive human as you kind of would think somebody would. It's like it's kind of a roundabout way of saying, I think he's fine. Um, the offensive line itself, the trenches were a great battle on the national team, um, which is what Jerron Jones played. Cody Mock from NDSU, I thought looked really nice. Uh, he's going to be transitioning side to guard. You watch his tackle film because he was the left tackle for NDSU. Just he, just fun tape. He just do a lot of pulling, and then he just run over defensive backs like like a, a kid like running over his stuffed animals uh, like in the basement. <laughs> like just hilarious looking stuff. Um, I thought Blake Freeland from BYU was one of the worst players on the field. He's a he's a big height weight quickness kind of guy. Like he looks like a very athletic tackle, and he is but he struggled getting his hands on everybody he was going up against. And then when he did get his hands on him, they were counter moving him to oblivion and he was just getting washed away. It was not a good sight. And then uh, Darnell Wright from Tennessee had some really nice reps. I think he's going to be best suited as a guard at the next level, just because he's, he's also a huge human, but his movement skills are so limited. Or if he's, he's probably going to have to play in a man gap power scheme, no matter what just because of his movement skills, but he'll be better suited to do some of those movement things as a guard and not a tackle. The speed will kill him. Um, one thing that helped him when he played Will Anderson, because people are going to point to that tape all year. Will He dominated Will Anderson, but the way that offense runs, it's a veer and shoot. So it's like run and shoot style passing concepts with a veer. And it's just very weird, very gimmicky, but he didn't have to deal with a lot of speed because everything was so condensed and it was built for space. So I think that he's going to struggle too much with speed. So he's going to have to move inside. And then one last guy that I just did not think acquitted himself all was Jarrett Patterson from Notre Dame. He's got less than 32 inch arms. People thought of this guy as a first round pick two years ago. I don't know if he goes day two. Um, he just does not have any form of functional strength at all. If a D tackle gets his hands on him and starts driving, Patterson's going to go back like a turnstile. It was it was really rough to watch. Offensive linemen here have their hands full with this D line because the D line brought some prospects, but 
there there were some bright spots, and I expect to see some more improvement from those guys on day two. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. We're going to talk a little bit more about those defensive linemen you were referencing, Tyler, after we get through the rest of the offense, because there was one player in particular who was very impressive on the defensive line. But first, let's talk about the skill position players, not a particularly impressive group of quarterbacks. The best quarterback there is not even physically participating. That's Hendon Hooker, the quarterback from the Tennessee Volunteers, former SEC Offensive Player of the Year. He's just getting off crutches. He's recovering from an ACL surgery. Fascinating case because he's 25 years old, coming off that injury, first-round talent, but he may dip to the third or fourth round because of his age and the injury. That could be an enticing player for somebody like the Jets who may want to stash him for a year or two and develop him so that he can eventually try to become the quarterback of the future. You could say, well, you want a guy that's 21-22 in that role, but it's quarterback. So even if a guy's 27, he can still give you 10 years. If you pick them in the third or fourth round and it doesn't work out, no harm, no foul, that's the kind of swing that you want to take when you're up at bat, I think, if you're a team like the Jets. Also, as far as running backs and wide receivers go, running back doesn't seem on paper to be a huge need. The Jets do have Michael Carter. They do have Bam Knight. And Brees Hall was their superstar, but he's recovering from an injury. So it's possible that because Michael Carter underachieves, because Bam Knight sort of faded down the stretch, and because Brees Hall's recovering from an injury, the Jets may go running back. Rashawn Johnson from Texas did really well today. He's the forgotten running back because everybody is focusing on Behan Robinson, who's probably going to be the first running back off the board, may very well be a first-round pick. And at wide receiver, the Jets have Elijah Moore. They've got Garrett Wilson. We'll see what happens with Corey Davis. Denzel Mims wasn't all that impressive this past year. They may move on from Braxton Berrios. So there's certainly a reason for the Jets to be interested in monitoring the wide receivers here. And Tank Dell, who's a very small guy but could be in that Berrios role, perhaps, if the Jets were to grab him, had a really nice day from the University of Houston. SMU's Rasheed Rice, another guy the Jets may keep their eye on for the mid-rounds. There are a couple of other receivers that turned some heads. Tyler, talk to me about the quarterbacks, the running backs, the wide receivers, all the skill position players that made you notice them in a positive or negative light today. So let's start from the top. Quarterback, listen. Here's the big thing with quarterback. You cannot uh, put too much into quarterback on day one because they are adjusting to a really unique situation. They don't they don't know most of these guys. Like Jaron Hall was just bad today. And the only time he was good was throwing to Pukinakua, who was his college teammate. It's it's a transition. And Dustin Herbert was atrocious on his first day in 2020. And I think he ended up being okay. So I'm really pausing with these guys. I think Hendon Hooker would be the best quarterback here if he was healthy. But I have massive questions about Hooker. The only time he played it in a pro-style-esque offense, because he plays in a very Mickey Mouse gimmick offense right now at Tennessee, he stunk. He wasn't good. So I have real concerns with Hooker, even though he does show some potential. And then him being 25 doesn't necessarily help either. But like if you're... If you get him in round three, I think that's a really good play, especially if the Jets end up with Aaron Rodgers, because we all know those rumors. We can't really shy away from them. They're probably going to be in the veteran quarterback market. Um, running backs, I did love Roshan Johnson. He is a top 20 back in college football last year. He just happened to be behind the best running back in college football. <laughs> and he does everything well. There's nothing that he does poorly. 
And I think the fact that he's a jack of all trades and quite frankly, really not a master of anything is going to help him. He does everything at such a good level that teams are going to really value that. And I think like round two is going to be kind of that sweet spot for him. I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up being picked in round two because he does everything at such a high level. Um, I really liked him. Evan Hall from Northwestern was another guy that flashed. Uh, I like it's Northwestern. Nobody like likes Northwestern. Nobody watches Northwestern and their offense is bad. It's, it's really bad. Um, like, but the only good quality that you saw was Paul. Paul was really good in, in spilling his vision. He was really good in, he was okay-ish in pass protection, but really good in catching the football, showed really nice vision and burst. I liked what I saw from Hull, and I want to continue to see more of that. Uh, but the wide receivers stole the show. Wide receivers against corners was it was the best one-on-one matchup from the American side all like in my entire time coming down here. Nathaniel Dell, also known as Tank Dell, he's going to get a lot of comparisons to Tutu Atwell. If anybody compares him to Tutu Atwell, other than being in a similar size profile, they're not worth listening to. Um, Tutu was a gimmick guy. He got schemed deep balls and like jet sweeps and screens. That's all he was. Nathaniel Dell is a pretty complete receiver. Now he weighs 163 pounds and he's a shade under 5'9. But he's winning off the line of scrimmage against press. He's, he's able to do it against zone. He sold the deep ball extremely well and created like 8 to 10 yards of separation. Yeah, I know that the senior bowl is designed for these quick wide receivers to win. But at the same time, you still have to do it. And when you're that small and you're beating press coverage against big corner, physical corners, that tells me something. Uh, Rasheed Rice was also good, the SMU star. He's 6'3", 215, and he's able to win with speed. He's able to win with nuance, and he tracks the ball extremely well. Had a great catch up the sideline. But the real, the two guys that I really like that aren't being talked about a lot, Dontavian Wicks from Virginia, really struggled this year coming into Tony Elliott's offense. Bronco Mendenhall retired. Offensive coordinator goes off Syracuse. They struggled all year. And Wicks kind of felt that as well. I loved what he was able to do today. Showed a lot of nuance in his route running, adjusted for tempo, very technically sound, and he has the ability to go over the top. And then Xavier Hutchinson from um, Iowa State. I think considering what the Jets have at receiver, Hutchinson might be a guy that they prioritize. Um, You know, they're going to be running that wide zone style system with Nathaniel Hackett, just like they were with Michael Fleur. Uh, I think they downgraded it offensive coordinator, but that's a whole nother story. Uh, and Hutchinson ha- is a bigger body guy. He's only six, one and a half, but he's thick. He's quick. He wins with physicality at the catch point. And considering you may not have Corey Davis long-term with his contract, I think this would be a really nice addition for the Jets to just add to Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore. And you have that physical receiver who can win in the red zone. Um, overall, this was a really, really fun day for the offensive skill positions. Defensively, Tyler, the player that seemed to turn the most heads was Keon White, the defensive lineman from Georgia Tech. Now, he's starting to remind me stock-wise a little bit of Jordan Davis from last year, where you're hearing more and more and more that this guy could very well go in the top 20, maybe even the top 15. Sounds like he really put on a show today at the Senior Bowl. Some other really good defensive performances as well. And Tyler, I know that 
this is an area where the Vikings are going to concentrate some resources. Maybe the Jets don't necessarily prioritize cornerback, but Tyreek Stevenson from Miami had a really good day today at edge rusher where the Jets do have some players, mainly Jermaine Johnson, their first round pick from last year. Hopefully they bring back Bryce Huff and then we'll see what happens with Carl Lawson. But Will McDonald from Iowa State is an interesting name. The guy that I really like out of the state of Iowa is Lucas Van Ness, but he's not down there this week. Will McDonald is. I think he's going to go in the mid rounds, whereas Van Ness, it appears, probably goes in the top 15. So the Jets likely aren't going to have a crack at Van Ness, but they might be able to get somebody like Will McDonald later on. Tell me about some of the players that you saw. I know you were particularly impressed with Stevenson. I know you liked McDonald, but more than anything else, the guy that everybody seemed to be talking about today on the defensive side of the ball was Keon White. Yeah, let's start with Keon White. Uh, it came out earlier today, Daniel Jeremiah released his top 50 big board. Keon White was at which surprised a lot of people. And I kept hearing um, throughout my time here, he's going to go top 15, top 20, just higher than what most people would think. And he showed why today. He was dominant. Uh, he's kind of a tweener. He weighs 280 pounds. He's got good arm length, but he carries his weight so well, he doesn't look like he's 280. There's some players who just look big, some players who just are. He just is. And you can add about 20 pounds to his frame. And I don't, I don't know if he would lose a whole lot of his explosiveness. And obviously, he's going to continue to add power as he goes through a like an NFL program. Like I really liked what I saw from Keon White, just disruptive in the passing game, in the running game explosive, dominant with his hands. There were so many little things I liked about his game that it's going to cause him to be drafted really, really high. Um, like there were some other players that, that were really good as well, and I think, you know, cornerback is going to be a really big one. Um, this cornerback class, if you need a guy, you don't need to force it. If you like, there's going to be about 20 guys who likely have, like, third-round grades or higher. This class is absurdly deep and we saw a couple of guys just dominate today you mentioned Tyree Stevenson he was a little surprising being seen in the first round of Daniel Jeremiah's mock he got mocked to the Vikings and I'm like okay this is different I haven't seen this name one time and I looked at uh grinding the mocks and he hadn't been mocked really at all in the first round and I'm like okay so I haven't so I haven't gotten a chance to look at him with um yeah, full tape study, but man, was he good. He was tremendous physical, dominant at the catch point, not even letting guys get out of their brakes. Just all over guys, just sticky, 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 made plays on the ball. He, this is what you wanted to see out of a player like that. And Julius Brents, he's built like Richard Sherman. Like he's 6'3, and he's got really long arms. It's you were talking about Robert Sala play, wanting to play a lot of cover three. This is the kind of guy he would want to come in because he can, he can eat that kind of space. He's also really good in press, very physical, knows how to use his hands. And those little nuances make such a big difference when you're talking about covering a receiver. And I loved what he was able to bring. I was fascinated about watching him this week. And he put on a show uh, earlier this afternoon and, this corner class, like I said, if you want a guy, you can find one. You don't have to force it. Let's talk about some of the news of the day, Tyler, because this was a big day for NFL news. And being down there in Mobile, I'm sure everybody was buzzing about what was happening. We'll start with what's going on at quarterback. Derek Carr has now been named to the Pro Bowl, which is really funny considering how his tenure with the Raiders ended. 
But according to the CBA, if Derek Carr were to get injured in that game, the Raiders would be on the hook for his salary in 2023. So this brings up a very interesting theoretical in terms of how the Raiders and Carr navigate this. Do they try to rush a trade? Do they release him ahead of that February 15th deadline if Carr is going to get into that game? Because otherwise, they're risking having to pay him $41 million in 2023. And then Aaron Rodgers, he was on Pat McAfee for his weekly spot. He was asked a bunch of questions about his future. Here's what Rodgers had to say, quote, it's going to be a little bit more time. In a couple of weeks, I'll feel more strongly about my decision. It's not about me. It's about the Chiefs and Eagles and their great season right now, implying that he wants to wait until after the Super Bowl at least to make a decision. When I make up my mind, you guys and the Packers, not necessarily in that order, will know. Also said, sounds like there are already conversations going on that don't involve me, and that's interesting, which it appears means that he's taking a shot at the Packers for leaking information to guys like Schefter and Rappaport. Rodgers on his relationship with New Jets offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett and whether or not it would sway his decision potentially. Quote, we all have certain coaches that meant a lot to us over the years. Nathaniel is obviously one of those guys, but also said that it doesn't necessarily mean anything for his decision. Obviously, he holds Hackett in high regard. He also holds Rich Bisaccia in very high regard and thinks that somebody should make Rich Bisaccia head coach. Quote, accountability, respect, expectations, ability to control the room and a person who shows and tells you how much he loves you. And it's real. There are not a lot of Rich Bisaccias out there. I tend to agree with him on that. I was surprised that the Raiders didn't give him a fair shake at the head coach job after last year when the team went 10-7 and seven after the Gruden scandal, everything that went down with their two first-round picks, including the terrible incident with Henry Ruggs, both of those guys facing major legal ramifications. Bisaccia still was able to get the Raiders into the playoffs in 2021, but wound up with the Packers. He's interviewing with the Colts right now for head coaching jobs, so we'll see if he has any chance at that. McAfee himself took a shot at Woody Johnson and said that Jim Ursay is a much better owner. Quote, Jim has a museum and a bunch of guitars. That's pretty cool. Obviously, McAfee lobbying on behalf of the Colts who also need a quarterback. And so that's why he was saying that McAfee, of course, a longtime member of the Indianapolis Colts. So interesting stuff here, Tyler, with Derek Carr. Very risky if he ends up playing in the Pro Bowl. And then Aaron Rodgers. Look, this is what he's done the last few offseasons. Kind of holds the team hostage in terms of what he wants to do and the decision he's going to make. This is something that Jets fans have to think about as far as whether or not the team gives up a major haul for Rodgers because they could do that if Rodgers is willing to play for the Jets. He comes here and then at the end of a year, he pulls this entire routine and then the Jets have to wait the entire offseason to see for sure what they're going to do at quarterback. The Packers have had to deal with that. And so now if a new team picks him up in a trade, they would have to do that as well. Rodgers, it appears, is probably going to play, but he's going to take his sweet time deciding for sure. Tyler, your thoughts on all of this? And also as somebody who covered the Vikings and saw Rodgers play quite a bit this year, your thoughts on how close he is to back-to-back MVP Rodgers and whether or not it was just a fluky season or he's actually starting to decline. I want to start with Rich Passaccia. The reason I don't think the Raiders gave him what you considered a fair shake was because they got complete new front office. And when you have a GM, he has an opportunity to hire a head coach. He's going to hire his guy. And does it stink for Passaccia? Yeah. Does he deserve probably better than he got? Yeah. I think it's just all-encompassing and just a really weird situation. 
Now, in terms of Aaron Rodgers, I think it's a combination of he's in the decline and it was an aberration. Rodgers is about to turn 39 years old and he is not young. Like you can tell that, I mean, he's, he still has able to see the field, but they're just not quite as much a zip on the ball and he doesn't trust people. And I think that's going to be a big thing. Is he going to trust Garrett Wilson? Is he going to trust Elijah Moore? Is he going to trust Corey Davis? And that offensive line is not going to be as good as what he had in Green Bay, more than likely. So the relationship with Hackett is good, but Hackett never called plays for Rodgers. So there's so many little variables and instances. I'll tell you this. If you, like the Jets have a stacked team. They have a team that is built to win if they get a quarterback. I understand the idea of getting Rodgers. I support it, but you need to also have a backup plan. You need to get a guy in there also to start grooming and getting ready. So let's say Rodgers plays for two years. Let's say you draft a quarterback in this round, like in the, like let's say round four, and start developing him and then get him ready for two years from now. I think you need to do that because Rodgers could fall off of a cliff real easy. And he could also win MVP next year. The, there's just such a wide range of variances with Rodgers. And I just don't know what he's going to do outside of Green Bay. Is it going to be Russell Wilson? Is it going to be Peyton Manning going to Denver? We Like, I don't know. And Rodgers is such a unique enigma that I think you just need to be careful, like, in a general sense. So that's kind of where I'm at there. The Sean Payton stuff, look, if you have to trade to get a great head coach and you get that great head coach, it usually works out. Bill Parcells took a Jets team that was uh, pioneered by Rich Kotite, who is just atrocious, and he took that team to an AFC championship game within two years. Bill Belichick, traded for, won six Super Bowls. John Gruden got two firsts and two seconds. In his first season, won a Super Bowl for Tampa Bay. There's a history of head coach trades working out, so I think it's going to end up working out in Denver. But, man, did they have to give up a lot of assets to get a quarterback and a head coach? Not exactly a great sign for a general manager. And Peyton, I'm guessing, is on pretty thin ice. Tyler, let's talk a little bit more about the Sean Payton move and what led to it. Because the reason Sean Payton ended up in Denver, in part, is because D'Amico Ryans decided he didn't want the Denver job. He went back home to Houston. That's where he built the bulk of his career went to the Pro Bowl twice and was an All-Pro Defensive Rookie of the Year as a member of the Houston Texans. Then as a coach, did a phenomenal job with the San Francisco 49ers, stepping in as defensive coordinator after Robert Sala moved on to become the head coach of the Jets. And so he decided to go to the Texans. He was Denver's first choice. And when that didn't happen, they ended up pivoting to Sean Payton, who they'd been flirting with a little bit. And I think a big part of the reason why Peyton wasn't number one on their list is because of exactly what you said. They knew they were going to have to give up a haul to get him and pay him a ton of money. But in the end, when you go and make that investment in Russell Wilson, if you're able to get somebody like Sean Peyton to potentially go in there and fix it, it's a move you really need to make. And they did make it. Obviously, Sean Peyton is somebody, just like any great head coach, who is very protective of his legacy. So if he's going in there, he clearly thinks that he can do something with Russell Wilson. He must have watched the film extensively and believes that he can bring Russell Wilson back to much closer to where he was with Seattle than where he was with Denver last year. And the terms of the deal, 
they're honestly nowhere near as punitive as what you talked about with John Gruden. It was two firsts and two seconds to get John Gruden from the Raiders to the Buccaneers. It was a late first round pick, number 30 overall. That was a pick that was originally the 49ers pick. They traded it to the Dolphins in the Trey Lance deal. And then the Dolphins traded it to the Broncos for Bradley Chubb. That pick now goes to New Orleans. They also give up a second round pick next year. In exchange, they get Peyton and a third rounder back. Speaking as a Jets fan and understanding how difficult it is to find a head coach that really knows what he's doing, somebody that you can trust to not only run your offense, not only find and develop a quarterback, or in this case with Russell Wilson, fix a veteran quarterback who has gone astray, but also to really bring a certain presence, not just to the locker room, but to the organization in general, to get everything going in the right direction, considering how far backwards the Broncos have gone the last couple of years, especially with what we saw last year, the high expectations around Russell Wilson, and it all crashed and burned. That deal makes a lot more sense to me than it probably does to people who are fans of teams that have had really good head coaches for a long time. I'm sure Pittsburgh Steelers fans are sitting there going, you gave up all that for a coach? What are you guys, crazy in Denver? But I definitely understand it. I'm sure you probably do as well, Tyler. So everything sort of came together today. D'Amico Ryan's rejecting the Broncos meant that the Broncos upped their offer to Sean Payton and were willing to give up what they needed to to the Saints to get him in the building. D'Amico Ryan's goes back home to Houston. That'll be fascinating. I know a lot of people are going to question that hire because it's assumed that the Texans are going to draft a quarterback at number two. And wouldn't you want an offensive mind in charge? But I think it all comes back to the fact that if you trust the right leader to make the right decisions in terms of who to hire and who to work with that young quarterback, then it really doesn't matter if the head coach is an offensive or a defensive guy. It just matters if he's the right leader and the right guy to know who's the right person to guide the young quarterback and the other young pieces that they're going to try and put in place during that rebuilding project in Houston. So fascinating moves here by both Houston and Denver. Sean Payton back out of the broadcast booth for a ton of money and big-time compensation. D'Amico Ryans getting himself his first job as a head coach in the NFL, back where his NFL legacy began, the Houston Texans. Here's the one thing that a lot of people don't realize, Scott. It is incredibly difficult to find a head coach, and I think Jets fans know that all too well. They've gone through quite a few of them to try and find the right guy. You know, if it wasn't Adam Gase, it was Rex Ryan. I mean, even Rex Ryan had had positives. It was Todd Bowles, Rich Kotite. Like, there have been so many examples in Jets history where they struggle to find that guy. And if you find that that guy, even if it's going to be difficult to acquire him, you, you do everything you can to get him. And since you give up kind of stink. But if you get a great head coach, like Sean Payton is a borderline Hall of Fame level head coach, you just deal with it. You deal with the assets you have to give up because you need that guy. And I think he's going to do a lot to maximize Russell Wilson. He maximized Drew Brees when Drew Brees' arm was a limp pasta noodle. And I think that's a really big deal when it comes to your team because you can't, like, I I played it like this. If you give a 13-year-old kid a Ferrari, he's not going to know what to do with it. But if you give a, a experienced race car driver an average car, he's going to drive the living crap out of it, and he's going to get the most out of it. That's why I think it's so important to get 
a really talented head coach. And the Broncos are going to be so much better off because they have him. And I, I really believe that this was the right move for uh, the Broncos, even though they had to give up those assets. Tyler Fornis, managing editor of the Vikings Wire. Thanks so much for coming on and breaking down day number one of senior bowl practice with me. You're down live in Mobile, where you're going to be hearing a lot of chatter about the news of the day, which we also touched on. And I'm sure throughout the week, there will be whispers all the way through Mobile, Alabama. That's usually how these things go. And I'm looking forward to digging in on that and talking more with you as these practices unfold the next couple of days. In the meantime, for anybody that wants to follow you on social media, check out your work over Vikings Wire. How can they do all that? Find me on Twitter at the Real Forno, and I, I do a lot of live tweeting there from practices, sending out clips, talking about the flow, who's playing really well and who's not. I have we have two articles up already on Vikings Wire right now, um, breaking down uh, day one of practice from both the national team and the American team. Um, I wrote the national team. My um, my columnist Matt wrote about the American team, and we're trying to get a little more in depth in a lot of places, just, just because we're talking about so many different prospects. We we hit on twenty guys already on day one, and we're going to continue to do that all week. Uh, and it's going to be a really fun time. I love, love, love the Senior Bowl, and it's such a fun experience. And I'm I can't wait for day two because day two is going to be even better for practice. Make sure you follow Tyler on Twitter and read his work over at Vikings Wire. Check out everything we're doing at playlikeajet.com and the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. Some awesome All-22 breakdowns up on our channel. And there's going to be one on a certain soon-to-be former Raiders quarterback who wore the number four pretty soon. We'll give you an All-22 look at Mr. Derek Carr. Keep your eyes and ears open for that one. Watch our videos. Subscribe if you haven't already. YouTube.com slash playlikejet. Visit our store, tpublic.com. That's tepublic.com. We've got the John Franklin Myers, Quentin Williams, Bless You Thank You shirt, the Play Like a Jet logo shirt, caps, mugs, hoodies. It's all there. tpublic.com. That's tepublic.com. And be sure to give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. doesn't take you much time. doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you can go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and playlikeajet.com. <laughs>